Thank you, Pastor. Uh, really, uh, I just want to say thank you for having us. It's so nice to be here. And uh, yeah, as, as Phil said, uh, my wife Ashley and I have been part of Revival City Church, you know, a few names, for a long, long time. And uh, it's wonderful to see what God's doing here in Mount Barker. We had a lovely drive from Morford Vale this morning where we're crashing with parents, seeing lots of cows and horses and all those sorts of things. And I really just want to honour your, uh, your pastors here. Uh, we love uh, Pastor Phil and Pastor Sarah. And uh, you guys have been such a blessing in our lives. And, um, you know, you've come to Wyala to visit us multiple times, which if you've ever visited Wyala, uh, you know that to go visit someone there multiple times is a real labour of love. Uh, am, am I right? Uh, no, no, it's not. Uh, so it's wonderful uh, to be here and uh, we just thank you guys so much and we're so excited for what God is doing through you and with you uh, here in Mount Barker. Um, get my iPad sorted. I much preferred when the pastors used to come up with like sheets of paper because you'd sort of know what you're in for, didn't you? You'd be like, you'd watch the visiting pastor get up and, you know, some would have one or two sheets and you're like, all right, early minute, until you realised it was size four font. And some would get out the wads of paper and you'd know you'd had to space out your mints for the, you know, well, that could be a long one, don't go too early. So you, you guys don't know what you're in for this morning though because I'm on the iPad and the title of my sermon this morning comes in the form of a question. It's a question for all of us to consider this morning. Uh, in our personal lives, in our own hearts, and our own spirits. And it's this. Are we perverting the simplicity of the gospel? Now, when I say perverting the gospel, I reckon your mind could leap to pretty extraordinary places with a question like that. You might be thinking the occult or greed or immorality or new age mysticism, all manner of possible perversions. But the, the corruption of the gospel message that I, I, I want to speak to you about this morning um, is really much more simple. It's really about our right standing and relationship with God and whether we have a true an accurate understanding of his grace and his love for us. And the, the problem with this, with this potential perversion of the gospel is it's a little bit harder to spot than some of those big ones that I just listed off for you before. Because by and large, it looks like biblical Christianity. It looks like the gospel of Jesus Christ but it isn't. What this gospel does is it takes biblical truths, it takes biblical, uh, biblical wisdom, biblical commands, and it distorts them and it gives them a false power. And it's exactly what was happening 2,000 years ago in the church of Galatia, the sort of behaviour that prompted the Apostle Paul to write his letter to that church in what we now call the book of Galatians. And Galatia was a region of the Roman world uh, in the modern day area of Turkey. And, and the churches there, were, they were mostly comprised of what you, know, you would call in the biblical language, Gentile converts, meaning non-Jewish Christians. And so prior to writing his, his letter or his book or whatever you want to call it, uh, Paul had personally, he'd spent a lot of time with those Christians and he taught them about the simple truth of the gospel, that all people can be saved simply through faith in 
Jesus. Nothing less, nothing more. It's simple. Faith in Jesus, that's all you need. But some time passes and, and Paul starts to hear some troubling reports about what's going on in the church there and, and some, of, some delusions that the Christians there are falling under. And as we review his letter, we see that he really wastes no time and he gets directly to the issue that has him highly agitated. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, Paul says, some people are throwing you into confusion and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Later in chapter 3, verse 1, he says this. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? So it's, it's very clear, isn't it, from this language that Paul is really deeply disturbed, deeply worried that what has happened in Galatia uh, what has happened to them is it has warped their understanding of the gospel. And so it is well for us today to consider what mistakes these Galatian Christians were making that prompted such pointed and powerful prose from Paul. So what heinous beliefs, what immoral actions had Paul heard about? Had he heard about idolatry? Had he heard everyone's getting drunk? Had he heard there was... Uh, widespread sexual immorality. No. What he'd heard about was there was a whole lot of circumcision happening. And you heard me correctly. Paul writes a 3,000-word letter to the Galatians because he's heard that the Christian men are getting circumcised. I'm going to say the word circumcision a bit this morning. You've got to roll with me, okay? (laughs) All right. Now, I sense there might be a few men shifting a little bit uncomfortably in their seats this morning, Uh, but don't worry, this is not an ambush on the state of your manhood. Uh, Pastor Phil didn't contact me. You know, this is what pastors do. They get the visiting preacher, and before the preacher comes, they say, look, we've got this issue in our church, but it's really hard for me to talk about it without offending people. Can you talk about it when you come? Uh, So I promise you, he didn't get me aside a month ago and say, look, there's a spate of circumcision happening in Mount Barker, and I need you to do something about it. I have never had that conversation with him. Uh, We're not really talking about that today. And so, ladies, you've got to stay with me too. There is something in this for you. So we've got to consider, really, if it's not the act that we need to be talking about today, why was was Paul so concerned about these Galatian men getting circumcised? Well, to understand that, we need to understand that another group of people had come to the churches of Galatia and had distorted that simple gospel truth that Paul first taught them, that salvation comes through Christ alone, faith in Jesus alone. And these people were called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were a group of Jewish Christians. So remember, Galatia is made up of... predominantly made up of non-Jewish Christians. But, and then so these group of Jewish Christians come and they start to preach that salvation does not come through faith in Jesus alone. They start to preach that salvation comes from a combination of faith in Jesus and strict observance 
of the Old Testament laws. And now, obviously, one of these Old Testament laws is that men should be circumcised. And so, following this influence from the Judaizers, the Gentile Christian men in Galatia are starting to get themselves circumcised. Full-grown adult men, think about that. Say what you want about those Judaizers, but they must have been persuasive preachers. I don't reckon I could get one man in here who hasn't had that done to go and do, do that this morning, but the Judaizers could. So they're, they're, they've, they've had a powerful impact on that local body of Galatian Christians. And as we read earlier, Paul is not happy about this sudden craze. And it's not the act that he's unhappy about. It's what that belief represents. And what it represents is actually an insult to the cross and it is an insult to Christ. In fact, Paul says in chapter 5, verse 2, he says, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. And perhaps a little bit more uncomfortable shifting here this morning. But as always, context is king. And the context here isn't that there is an inherent evil in circumcision, obviously not, given that the Old Testament commands to do it. The root of the problem here is that the Galatians no longer believe it is Jesus who saves. The Galatians now uh, have had their, their understanding of the gospel warped and they no longer believe that their righteousness comes solely through faith in Christ Jesus. They believe that circumcision has saving power. And that's exceptionally dangerous because what's happened is they've added to the gospel. It was no longer for them Jesus saves. It was circumcision saves. It was the law saves. It was following biblical commandments can save me. Now, the commandments and those Old Testament laws were not bad, but they are not a saviour. And we might call that today legalism. The belief that righteousness doesn't come only by faith in Jesus Christ, but by the good actions we do, or by our sinlessness or whatever. And legalism was a trap for the church in Galatia. And it's been a trap for Christians and Christian communities for the last 2,000 years. You know, many, many Christians in history and today, you know, we, they received the gospel of salvation by grace. And understand, we come in at the very beginning, we understand that, yes, I am saved by having faith in Jesus. I am saved from eternal damnation, saved from hell. I'm made righteous in the eyes of God. I am invited into a relationship with him, but a corruption of the gospel comes when believers fall victim to some sort of legalism, some belief that it's their good works that are going to produce righteousness. And that legalism can take on lots of different forms. You know, some substitute the the simple all-for-one power of the cross with a dependence on external ceremonies and church traditions. Um, Others fall into legalistic systems of do's and don'ts, foolishly hoping that I'm going to improve my standing with God by, you know, doing a lot of something or not doing any of something. And that's going to make God love me more. That's going to give me more power. You know, still others think that you know, there's kind of like a, a second blessing, a spiritual secret to unlock some sort of higher plane of spirituality. 
an additional experience of grace, hoping to receive more of God. If, you know, they can just do more of something. And, and those things can be good things. So you think, oh, God would love me more. God would bless my life more. God would unlock this, this extra layer of blessing in my life if I would just pray more or just speak in tongues more or just go to more church meetings or just go to the prayer group more often, read my Bible more, whatever, whatever. Maybe it's just the internal feel. If I could just feel more desperate for God, he would hold me in higher standing. And it's a trap because what it does is it makes our performance our saviour. We think that the level of our faith saves us. More prayer, more Bible reading, more faith, more righteousness. It feels like a winning equation. But what we all need to remember is it's not the level of our faith that saves us. It is the object of our faith that saves us. God isn't holding up a measuring tape to our faith, assessing if we have enough of it or if it's powerful enough for him to save us or love us. No, he just wants to know what we have faith in. And if it's in Christ, if we have faith in Jesus, then we are righteous and we are saved. And if we have faith in anything else, well, as the words of Paul would warn us, we might not be. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says this. He says, Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to skip down to that second last line. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, if you keep reading Galatians, he goes further. He says that if our good works could save us, if, if, following good, uh, if following biblical commands could save us, then Jesus actually died for nothing. And so if we make that perversion in our spirits, if we think that what we're doing or what we're praying or what we, if we think that something we do is, is having some additional saving effect or having some way by, in some way, adding to our righteousness or right standing with God, then really what we're doing is we're making a mockery of the death of Jesus. Why would Jesus die if circumcision could save us or speaking in tongues could save us or prayer could save us or acts of charity could save us or reading our Bibles every day could save us? And, you know, this might all seem really painfully obvious in one way, but I don't know about you, but I feel like I've been guilty of buying into that delusion at some time or other in my life. I have been. You know, I know that I've sat in church services much like this one and have been desperate to reach out to God and, and have an encounter with him. But I hear that little voice in my head, and it says, oh, no, 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 no. God's not for you right now. Because God saw what you did last, you know, last weekend. Or God's, God knows what's in your heart. Or God knows that you haven't thought about him since the last time you walked into this church building. You got all fired up and then you left and you just, you got, God, get, there's no way you're having an encounter with God this morning because you're not righteous enough. And we hear that voice. I mean, 
and it gets, it gets to us. It's got to me at times. And you think, oh, I'm not righteous. I've got to get myself cleaned up before I come back to God. And that's foolish, isn't it? And it's one of the most devastating betrayals of the gospel that there is. The idea that we need to get ourselves cleaned up before we come back to God. And and you've got to wonder how many people die without truly encountering God because they've been waiting to get some issue or problem in their life sorted out. I'll come to God, but I've I've got to get this thing sorted out first. And there's this great analogy I've heard that, you know, for all of us, Jesus is standing at the front door of our life. And he's got his bucket in one hand and his mop in the other and his sponges and his cleaning agents. And he's standing on the door knocking and he wants to come in and he wants to clean up for us. But we, we see him as, you know, uh, anyone who grew up, you know, in a house like mine. And you see the visitors and it's like, and we think we see Jesus at the front door and we think, oh, I've got to clean up. Who's like that? Who's, who, who lives in a house where there has to be a mad clean before any visitor arrives? And we do that to Jesus sometimes, don't we? We see him out there and we know he wants to come in and clean us, but we run around the house and we think, oh, I've just got to get everything sorted. Or, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you know, like maybe your mum had the good room, right? Where, you know, where the furniture's perfect and everything's, the, the couches are all covered in plastic. So we let Jesus in, but we just let Jesus into the good room. Oh, Jesus, just stay right here, Jesus. I'm just going to go get a cup of tea. And he says, no, I'll go make that for you. And you're like, no, Jesus. Stay in the good room, Jesus. Stay in my Sunday room, 10.30 to 10 to 11.30, Mount Barker, because the rest of it's a mess. And we do that because we, we, because we know we're not perfect. And that feeling, I think it's really an extension of what those people in Galatia were experiencing. That they, were no, they no longer saw themselves as saved and righteous because of Jesus and what he did. They deluded themselves into thinking, I need to do something additional to make myself righteous. And what they haven't understood, what they didn't understand at that point, is a very strange and wonderful truth. That Christian righteousness is not an active righteousness. The late great Tim Keller, calls it the mystery of passive righteousness. We do nothing for it. We give nothing for it. We only receive it. And we only receive it by simple faith in what Jesus did for us. You know, Keller Keller wrote that anyone who does not understand this righteousness or cherish it in their heart and conscience will continually be buffeted by fears and depression. Nothing gives peace like this passive righteousness. And the Galatians' loss of peace, their loss of their feeling of acceptance, is what Paul was rallying against so strongly in that letter that he wrote. And in chapter 3, verse 10, He brings this this message home. He says, all who rely on the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. So what this means is that if you ever convince yourself that your actions are important for your salvation and you're just dooming yourself to failure. No one can keep the law. 
We're all sinners. We all fall short of God's standard. We all fall short of his glory. We'll never be worthy. We'll never be worthy of his righteousness. You cannot pray enough. You cannot avoid enough sins. You cannot give enough into the faith offering. It's impossible because as soon as you make one mistake, you're not worthy. One mistake and I'm not worthy. One mistake and you're not worthy. And I don't know about you, but I've made more than one. Made at least three. This morning on the drive here. <laughs> but thank, thank God that he sent his son Jesus. Who was worthy. Who did live a sinless life. To die in my place. To die in your place and offer you that free gift of righteousness. You know, and what do you have to do to receive that gift? You just have to have faith in Jesus. Nothing else you do, nothing else you do. This is such an important truth to just hammer into your heart this morning. Nothing else you do will make God love you any more or any less. But I think I can see why Galatians and Christians for the last 2,000 years get it muddled up because... A meritless system of grace is the most not human system you could ever construct. It is entirely not what any one of us would consider. If, if, if anyone came to me and said, oh, I need you to construct a system whereby people can avoid, you know, uh, hell and, you know, earn God's grace, I'm not going to say, you know, none of us would have said, oh, well, you know what, we'll just get, you know, nothing. You just have to believe in a guy. Uh, well, uh, you just believe in God's son, Jesus. and the, We would all go, no, 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 no. That's, that's not right. There's got to be a bit more to it than that. But God didn't do that. You know, that meritless system, it's so unhuman because we all have that basic understanding in our hearts that, you know, like, if, you, you know, if, if, if I study hard, I'll get better results at school. If I work hard, I'm more likely to be promoted. We largely live in a merit-based world. There are exceptions to that, but largely it is a merit-based world. But entry into God's kingdom is not merit-based. And here's a powerful truth that we should dig deep into our hearts today. Those of us that know Jesus, maybe there's some people here that don't. And it's this. came from my dad, actually. Just give him a shout-out. When we were discussing Galatians and he, he just gave me these two sentences. And I think they're the, the two best sentences to, to summarise one, you know, one of those big Galatian themes. He says, Your good works cannot save you and your bad works cannot damn you. Your good works cannot save you and your bad works cannot damn you. Because no matter what you've done, the free gift of grace, the free gift of eternal life is always available to you. And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet and you don't have faith in Jesus yet. And uh, maybe you've been thinking about it, but you know, you sort of know in your heart the person you are and you know what you've done. And you think, how can a good God accept and love a person like me? Well, the answer is, I don't know. I don't know how God can love you with what you've done. 
And I don't know how God can love me through all I've done. But I know that he does. I know he loves me and he accepts me and he refuses to let my sin, my mistakes, ruin my right standing with him. We have to guard that with all of our hearts because one of Satan's favourite lies is to whisper in our ears, you're not worthy. You're not worthy of God. You don't deserve his love. You don't deserve to be in relationship with God. And Satan will never cease his efforts to destroy God's way of salvation. Because if God's way of salvation is through grace, working through faith alone, then Satan's way will always be a perversion. And that is that salvation is going to come by what you do, by your effort, by your goodness, by your merit. But, he, but Satan's clever. He, doesn't, he won't twist it entirely. He'll just, he'll, he'll just say, oh, you just got to do those things as well. And that's where we've got to be so careful that we don't listen to that voice. And I've got a little sub-note here. You know, I think we're all pretty happy, aren't we, to accept grace and mercy for ourselves? I think most of us are. We're pretty happy that God offers it to us for free. We're pretty happy that God doesn't keep a record of all the things we've done wrong and hold them against us for the rest of our lives. So we grasp onto that for ourselves. But I want to ask you this morning another question. Do we extend it to others? Do we accept a salvation of grace for ourselves but impose a salvation of works on others? Do we have open hearts to the lost in our society? Or do we see them as the other, sinful, evil, needing to reform? Do we truly want to extend grace and mercy to the person on the margins? The homosexual, the transsexual, whoever else. who has traditionally had no place in Christianity. You know, do we expect them to get themselves cleaned up a bit before they come to God? That's just a little side note. You know, at the start of the message I said, the question to ask ourselves was, are we or am I perverting the simplicity of the gospel? And as I've said, I think that many of us including myself, would be guilty of that at times. Maybe through our beliefs about our own self, maybe about our belief about the other people around us. But we must know that if we are trying to earn our way into God's graces, we will forever be disappointed, we will forever be discouraged. And if we make others earn our grace, we will forever be discouraging and disappointing them, people that God loves so dearly. As uh, is the uh, is the keyboard wonderful uh, keyboard young lady here? She's not playing in the uh, the breastfeeding room yet. That's good. <laughs> you know, maybe you're here today and and you just want a fresh relationship, or you just want a renewed relationship with Jesus Christ. But you know, maybe. You've been waiting until your life is in better order. Well, God says to you this morning, don't wait any longer. Don't hold yourself back. Don't keep me in the good room. 
let me into every space in your life. Even the ones in terrible disarray. He says, that's where I want to be the most. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 says this. For in Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And I want to invite you today to grab hold of that grace that Jesus brought for you, bought for you on the cross. Maybe you already know him. Maybe you've just grown a little bit distant. Maybe you feel unworthy. Feel unworthy no more because you are no more unworthy now. You are no more unworthy now than you ever were. Whatever, I'm sorry, I just feel like God's impressing on me for some people here today. stirring me up. God knows that some people here today have been through some awfully hard times. (laughs) And there are times where you might have questioned all, God, where am I now? How can you love me? How can you still use me? (laughs) How can you take me with what's happened in my life and still use me? And God says, same as it's always been. Whatever you've done, I still love you. There is nothing, nothing you can go through that will ever cut you off from my purposes and plans and love. Maybe today you're here and you've never accepted Jesus' grace. but maybe you want to for the very first time. Just know that nothing you've ever done or will ever do will disqualify you from that love. Your time for a new start, for a fresh beginning, for love, for acceptance and right standing with God is right now. I'm just going to ask that. Why don't we just all close our eyes? If you're in that first camp this morning and you know Jesus, but you've just felt there's a distance in your life, maybe you've just felt a bit unworthy, maybe you've wondered whether how you're standing with God is. I just encourage you to just just raise your hand in the air just so I can pray for you this morning. Awesome, I see that hand. You can put your hand down. That's awesome. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that your love for us is unending. We, we thank you that your love for us knows no bounds. Lord, we thank you that no matter what, 
through all situations, through hell and high water, that you are there calling out for us, wanting to be in relationship with us. Lord, I pray for that hand this morning, Lord, that that you that, that fresh revelation of your pure love for them would just would just break through that Holy Spirit that right now you would let that person know in their very depth of their spirit that you are for them, that you have a plan and purpose for their life, that you have you want good things for them, Lord, that you love them no more, no less than you love anyone else in this room, no less than the pastor, no less than the worship leader, that you love them wholly and purely and all they need is to put their faith in you. And while all our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, is there anyone here this morning that hasn't yet invited the Lord Jesus into their life? Is there anyone that wants to make a decision to to put their faith in Jesus? We all know Jesus. That's awesome. Dear Lord, I just thank you one more time for the message in the book of Galatians that there's nothing we need to do to add to our faith for you to love us, for you to count us as righteous. Lord, I just pray for each and every one of us to have that truth just planted deeply in us this morning, that you love us. No matter what we do, that your love is there for us. Yes, we want to do good works. Yes, we want to live sin-free lives, Lord. But those things don't change whether you are for us or against us. Those Those things don't change whether we are righteous or unrighteous. Righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Let us... Let us walk boldly in that faith. Let us walk in the freedom of that. And let us extend that freedom and grace and mercy that You have brought to us. Let us extend that to the other people in this society, to the other people in Mount Barker, the other people in our workplaces, in our families who are broken, sinful people, but they need that free grace and they need that free love. Help us to be agents to bring that to the world. Let us be the salt and the light of the places that you have put us. Amen. Thank you very much for having me. I'll give the microphone back. Why don't we give Dan a hand?